Today's episode is sponsored by the American Chemistry Council. Chemistry creates, America competes. Hey, welcome to Politico Tech. Today is Tuesday, November 14th. I'm Stephen Overly. President Biden is slated to meet with Chinese President Xi Jinping tomorrow, as world leaders from across the Asia-Pacific region gather in San Francisco. Biden and Xi were last face-to-face one year ago in Bali, Indonesia. And you may recall that back then, they pledged to course-correct relations that have soured in recent years. There have been fits and starts since then. On the one hand, high-level meetings between Chinese and U.S. diplomats. On the other, more U.S. trade restrictions on Chinese technology. And that whole Chinese spy balloon drama. Biden and Xi now have to navigate tensions over microchip production and artificial intelligence, as the U.S. and China battle to be the world leader in emerging technology. There have been some initial signs that cooperation may be possible, including a reported agreement on the use of AI in defense. On the show today, I spoke with Xiaomeng Liu, the director of the geotechnology practice at Eurasia Group. She tells me why Tamara's meeting matters, but may not actually lead to any major breakthroughs. Well, listen, thank you for joining us on Politico Tech. I appreciate you making the time. What are your expectations for this meeting that's happening this week? I think this is a goal that's set up by Biden and Xi last year on the sideline of G20 meetings. The two leaders met and they recognized that things has got out of control a little bit. They agreed that the two sides should come back to the table. And uh, obviously, early in the year, the Bloom incidents derailed the whole track. Um, and it took multiple months and both sides of efforts um, to get things back on track. And this is a sign that the relationship is going into a period of short stabilization. The leader were able to achieve their goal uh, set up last year and see each other in person again. This is definitely a milestone for the bilateral relationship. You know, the short periods of stabilization does uh, ring true when you think about the spy balloon incident right from earlier this year that seemed to derail things. Um, it, it seems like they they seem to get on track and then something happens that, you know, not, knocks the relationship off track again. Yeah, I think <laughs> speaking of getting things off track, I, I think the biggest risk after this presidential meeting um, could be one of two things. One is Taiwan election happening next January. It looks like the candidate unfavorable to Beijing authority, William Lai, has a good chance of winning. I think if he uh, takes on the presidency, there is a chance of uh, risk coming from a more aggressive Taiwan posture on the U.S.-China relationship. And then another one is um, technology restrictions because the October 17th rule, as we have seen it in the past months, did a minor expansion from last October's sweeping technology restriction. But I think there are more, a few more drastic options that the U.S. government has been holding back. Um, it's possible after the, the two president meet, um, the, the likelihood for U.S. government to revisit those right more dramatic expansion uh, could come back to us. 
can you elaborate on on what those drastic options might be and and how China might respond? Yeah. So one of the more drastic action could be the expansion of export control restrictions to cover cloud service provider, because companies like Nvidia has leveraged the cloud infrastructure to share their high-end computing power with the world. Theoretically, Chinese entities, companies can access that、um, through cloud. So some of Uh, the policymakers in DC has been viewing that as a big gaping hole in the overall export control regime. That's one option. Another option is there. I think in the past months or so, there are multiple congressional letter pointing to a semiconductor technology group called Risk V. It's an open source technology group that both Chinese. And American companies contributed to, and some of the Chinese contributors are also entity list designated companies. And some of the lawmakers have been arguing that's a way to get around export control technology and transferring U.S. technology IP to their Chinese counterpart, at least benefiting them、um, in a way that's counteracting. The goal of export restrictions over the years, and some some lawmakers has proposed to put more restrictions to to curb U.S. companies' contribution to that technology foundation. That's another big ticket item. I think if U.S. activate those two options, China may. Put more、um, retaliatory efforts into the works. Last month and over the summer, they put licensing requirement on graphite, which is a important components mineral components to make electric vehicles, and also gallium and germanium, which are、um, new semiconductor materials and key. Raw minerals、uh, for making making electronic and、uh, machinery equipment. They put licensing requirements on those. They haven't fully activated those, but China could take another step further and use that as a retaliatory tool. Yeah, it does seem to me that China has sort of flirted with some of those restrictions,、um, but there's a lot more that they could do in, in retaliation if if they made that choice. Yeah, one of the deterrence factor is if they do that, there will be negative impact、uh, impact on the domestic stakeholders. The companies mining those minerals or processing those minerals, they will have a big shock because、uh, their buyer list just got shortened, and then global supply chain will experience certain level of disruption. So China, it's hard for China to find near term retaliatory measure that. Doesn't hurt themselves in the foot. That's why they have been hesitating in using those options. But if push come to shovel, they feel like they need to do something in response、um, and to to show that they have some tools in their arsenal. They we we may see、um, more escalation in that regard. And then you you did mention these、um, export controls that the U.S. has. Put in, they put in place last year on on microchips headed to China. This year they tighten those restrictions further. I know that China very much views those measures, which the U.S. says are for national security. China very much views them as you know a, an attempt to、uh, stifle its own technological ambitions and and innovations.、Uh, I mean, is that a topic that you think 
President Xi will be eager to discuss or, or put kind of on the forefront of this meeting? Yeah, the Chinese side is very, very eager to discuss that. They want an off-ramp uh, for these export control measures. They argue that there's um, over, there, there are over 600 Chinese companies on the NTT list, and there's no way for these companies to demonstrate to U.S. government that they don't pose security risk. Therefore, they shouldn't be on there. They want to create a new venue for companies to get them off the entity list, which is a very, very hard thing to do uh, from U.S. government perspective. And I I can see them trying to push that type of agenda uh, very, very aggressively. Like when Renamonda was in China a few months ago, they established this dialogue, but the dialogue on export control is not a venue for negotiation. It's, a, in Raimondo's word, a place to communicate our policy intention to the Chinese. But they really want to, the, the Chinese side is keen to address this issue to the extent I think they are trying to weave this topic into the AI track of the dialogue and use the pretext of AI supply chain disruption um, to cover the topic of technology restriction. I think that's how eager they are. They are trying everything and being very creative in their ask. We'll be right back. The Biden administration is moving forward with a slew of new regulations that put products like semiconductors, electric vehicles, modern healthcare technology, and clean energy at risk. Chemistry is essential to our modern lives, creating products to help foster a more sustainable and competitive future. The Biden administration must change its course and work with manufacturers on science-based policies that protect American innovation. Learn more at chemistrycreates.org. Well, I want to ask you, you know, there have been reports that when Biden and Xi meet this week, they're they're going to agree to a ban on the use of AI in autonomous weapons like drones and nuclear warheads. I should say at the time you and I are talking, the White House has not yet confirmed this. Um, but how significant would that kind of agreement be? I think right now we that this is still a big question mark, uh, given um, the extent, the, the scope of that potential agreement uh, is still hanging in the air. You can tell that there is a policy trend for the two sides to talk about AI's involve, involvement in military machinery. If, if you look at Chinese PLA's um, AI deployment principle issued in 2021, and uh, DOD did similar things back in 2020. I think if you just look at their high-level public available principle, you can see certain level uh, of similarity. I think both sides have the general sense that they don't want uh, our autonomous um, tools and robotics to trigger a military conflict, let alone a war, uh, without human permission. I think that's the thing that they could potentially agree to. Um, but still, I think um, devils in the detail. The two sides, you could argue, have already had similar type of conversation in the UN context. That's a more multilateral 
um, discussion. But I think if the two sides can agree on something concrete and public, that's a good starting point. Um, that's that that will help rekindle the military to military conversation between the two countries, which has been a roadblock for a long time as well. Right, and it, it strikes me too that it, this agreement would come very soon after both the China and the U.S. signed on to this AI safety pledge. You know, at the at the big UK safety summit, do these developments indicate to you that there is some cooperation happening on the tech front between China and the U.S., or is it too soon to really be that optimistic? I do think um, AI is a new technology area and there's a bubbling interest from both sides to at least communicate um, about their policy objective. I think the the UK uh, high-level AI principle is non-binding, technically speaking, but at least um, Chinese Vice Minister of uh, Science and Technology went and um, and uh, presented China's position on the issue along with uh, counterparts of other countries, including their U.S. counterparts. I think that's a good starting point for them to share thoughts on this and understanding what's the difference, what's the agreement. And that's one incremental baby step towards reaching something um, in agreement, hopefully, if not at the summit, um, later uh, in the bilateral process. Right. It strikes me that with fundamentally, any agreement like this has to be based on some sort of mutual trust. And it, it, do, it does seem like there has not been a lot of trust between the US and China. How do they sort of turn that around? Or, or, or what do they need to prove to show that these agreements really can really will be upheld? Yeah, I think face-to-face meeting is could be an instrumental step in the process. You know, if during COVID and um, the chilling bilateral relationship in recent years, both shut down a lot of these communication channels. But since the summer, we've seen multiple cabinet-level officials visiting China and their counterparts coming over. I think the, the face-to-face interaction do help build trust. I think that's the first step. Even we probably will not make any shattering commitment at this summit, but the in-person interaction between the two leaders is a good step towards that. Like I would argue we should build trust first before we reach any agreement. Because if you look at what happened in the past, the US-China used to have this cybersecurity agreement. That was a high watermark for the bilateral relationship. You could argue that didn't the implementation didn't go as smooth as they planned. But at the time, the two sides had faced and they come together. And there was a period after their agreement where the cyber activities uh, from both sides reached a low point. In retrospect, you could argue that was the value of the agreement. That's still better than no agreement. This mentality that the U.S. and China are just locked in this technological race, right, over AI, over microchips, um, over sort of all of these things, and that there there will be a winner, right, that the winner will get a, a major boost to its military, to its economy, you know, et cetera. Is there any changing that, you know, at this point? Do, and, and does that need to change? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. 
I think the two sides should recognize that sometimes it's not like what what's the line between military and civilian use, you know, for technology at its nascent stage at AI, it's very hard to draw the line. I think it's kind of intuitive for, for the political uh, stakeholders to say, we want to prevent the military use of AI at the cost of commercial entities. But you are talking about killing the whole industry, you know, like it's, it's a zero-sum game and no one will come out as a winner if they keep pursuing this in the most extreme way. But in the very, very early stage of technology development, you should keep the information coming and going and keep um, everyone sharing the same information of pool and si- work side by side by each other. More transparency will give, will have, will better inform the security risk somewhere down the road. If you stop innovation today, you don't know what China is doing. China doesn't know what U.S. is doing. It's that will, I would argue, foster more security risk than an open playground where you have more visibility and better communication. That way, I think that's that's a, a, the best way to mitigate security risk. Well, uh, one more question for you. You know, we start our conversation talking about some of the upcoming tension points in this relationship, including like the election in Taiwan. Another one I, is the the U.S. presidential election coming up next year. It's interesting to me that there there is a political pressure now to appear tough on China, and we heard that you know recently in this Republican presidential debate, there was a lot of criticism of TikTok, and it's you know, supposed connections to to China and and risks that that may present. Do you see tech continuing to be this sort of political target that, you know, when politicians in the U.S. talk about being tough on China, that tech will will be the focus of that conversation? Yeah, I, I definitely I think you already see the sign of that from the latest round of GOP debate about TikTok. Um, it was very close, I think, to the extent earlier this year, there, there was a proposed uh, restrict act um, that could have the legal power to ban TikTok. It didn't happen. But I think next year, um, the rhetoric around that will heat up and tech will become the lightning rod in the next political cycle. I see that happening anytime at this moment. Thank you so much for joining us today on Politico Tech. Of course. Thank you for inviting me. That's all for today's Politico Tech. For more tech news, subscribe to our newsletters, Digital Future Daily and Morning Tech. Music in today's episode comes from the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Our senior producer is Annie Reese. Our editors are Steve Heuser, Daniela Cheslow, and Louisa Savage. I'm Stephen Overly. I'll see you back here tomorrow. <laughs>